Uh, cool. Cool. So what we'll, we will uh, we'll leave the window open because it's hot as fuck outside. And uh, I don't mind the noise. The noise is great. Yeah. People are used to that. You run a little noise reduction and everything is good. Exactly. And uh, cool. So I guess we, we will begin. I'm already... Hold on. I'll put the screen here. Awesome. And so we can see what's up. Uh, oh, I should close the... This is, by the way, this looks out of control. This is the most prepared I've been for a podcast yet. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we feel special. Oh, you okay. Awesome. So, hi everyone. Welcome to uh, episode number five of Comedy Guy with uh, with Louis Cesarin. And I'm here today with s- some guys that I've really, really wanted to talk to for a while. They uh, run a company called Creately. And Creately are a talent management... One of the things they do, they're a talent management agency for content creators. And what does that mean in layman's terms? They look after YouTube people. That's what they do. That's the primary artists that they're looking after. But that's an extremely narrow view of what they do. Just putting it into simple terms. Uh, yeah, and I want to talk to them. I'm going to talk to these guys all about the shared philosophies that Comedy Estonia has a kind of way of looking about artists and looking at the future. And that uh, we uh, and I found that these gentlemen also have a very similar way of looking at the future. So I've got Sander Saar and Breit Pilvik here. How you doing, boys? All right. How are you? Good. Thank you. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, you've got Mikhail's Tusi Soya chair you're sitting on there. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. That's the one <laughs> we're sitting on. Um, yeah, I guess, and I, as I said in that introduction, I've given you a pretty rough kind of introduction. How do you introduce Creately and what Creately does, Sanda? Creately, for us, the story how it began uh, was um, was that we're we're both actually childhood friends. <laughs> And uh, we found a common problem and an opportunity at the same time when uh, I was working at the time for a company called Maker Studios, which was the largest network of content creators all around the world, um, fueling the democratization of uh, content creators uh, everywhere in Europe, Asia, Latin America and the US. Mm-hmm. And Bright at the time was uh, working for one of the um, artists um, management companies as well who was uh, booking loads of agents uh, booking loads of artists in Estonia and uh, we were talking about things that um, some some basic things and like how we can potentially help those artists also in Estonia to make their hobbies or whatever they're doing today into their full-time jobs or Mm -hmm. businesses and uh, Bright was seeing the demand um, from uh, from brands and seeing what's happening in the Estonian market. And I had the know-how on how to help uh, those creators uh, to do more of what they're really good at mm-hmm. um, and get better and uh, also make that into a living so they can earn money from it um, mm-hmm. and use that for their own development um, and uh, turn it into something that they can envision as a career rather than just as a hobby where they would just... Um, you know, have to have to do it as a side project from whatever else they're doing. And this is how we kind of put those two together on Bright's know-how of the Estonian market and um, my know-how on working with independent creators. And um, that was the beginning of Creately. Um, and we started it together with um, another local talent uh, who was also really... Um, inspired uh, to fuel uh, the independent creators in Estonia uh, mm. and be a viable, strong 
alternative for the people who are watching content online uh, rather than just have whatever comes from TV or radio, but also have a really good content available on social media channels that is not just kind of uh, pictures and, and something that is, but something that is more meaningful, like series and, and different types of different formats um, mm. on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram. And that was really a thesis. We wanted to be behind that and fueling that growth. Um, and the what Greatly does um, or started doing the first thing was representing those artists um, or those creators. Mm. Um, and that was the, the first thing where we saw that we can add value because uh, ultimately those relationships are very much based on how we can help them um, and how we can grow together. Mm. Um, and one of those things was representing them for uh, uh, in front of brands and agencies who had a uh, strong interest in working with them because they saw a clear value in how the audience uh, consumption habits are changing, especially for the young people. Those For young people, when we say that, we mean people who are younger than 25, generally speaking. Sure. Uh, where the changes are the most rapid and uh, we help them there. And then from there on, it's expanded to other areas. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot that and is an extra excellent introduction to what you guys do. Um, and uh, some of this stuff we're going to go through later on. And particularly, I'm going to, I want to talk about sponsors a bit later because that's sure. something that we've talked a lot about because it's something I think that you guys do very well. And as you said, that was part of your kind of founding mission was to help uh, these content creators uh, work with sponsors and, and get these deals, which means that content creators can get some income, which means they can be professional and devote their time to it, and they don't have to work at McDonald's or do some other crap and worry about stuff. And I've talked about that before, that I believe that with any artist, and I, I, I feel like your artist might be very similar, that you need to get them to a professional level where they can live from that. And if those artists, via whatever means, can live from their art, then they're in a whole new ballgame. They're in a whole new thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and I've definitely found with Comedy Estonia that if I can get the guys up to a certain level, they can live. They're not living like kings, but they're doing all right. Uh, you know, they, they're not rich people, but they're just living. That's enough. And that was enough to enable them to do their art and then sort of not worry so much and, and get to the future. So we'll talk about that. Um, and let's uh, let's briefly go back to because I, I feel like uh, some of these ideas are coming from your experience. Now you still live in America, as I understand, or are you based back here? I still live in LA. Yeah. In LA, fuck yeah! So first of all, what brought you to LA as an Estonian? Mm, I moved there with a company I work for, so I actually have lived in other places outside of Estonia in the last ten years. Okay. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in London. Um, where I um, I initially got involved with uh, the startup space. I worked for uh, worked with Garage Forty Eight oh, right. uh, when yep, we organized hackathons in Africa, and then got involved with uh, Seedcamp, which was the largest seed investment fund in Europe. And then afterwards, through different experiments, mostly in the space of media, still mm. um, I got a uh, place at AOL, um, mm. which is an company that is now called oath but uh it's one of the oldest internet companies that yeah i remember that back in the day yep. a ton of yeah you remember the the cd that you're everyone remembers to. the cds <laughs> we even had them in australia i think i don't oh, know really i don't think we ever got them in estonia that was never a thing never here, in estonia it, it was no. in the uk and some of the other european countries right. sure um work for them and um 
I started kind of more to be more involved in the media space mm. um, and worked in their video products. And afterwards, as I mentioned, joined Maker Studios that was acquired by Disney. So with them, I moved from London to LA and I've been there since. Right. So you, yeah, you had some years with, with Maker Studio and then they were acquired by Disney. So you sort of buy kind of flow with them working for Disney. So then I continued on with Disney after right. the post-acquisition as well. Yeah. And is, is uh, sorry, Makers, what was the name of the company? Sorry? Maker Studios. Maker Studios. Is that uh, a department now of Disney or how does that? That work? is uh, not a one single department any mm. longer. It's uh, part of uh, one business unit within Disney. Um, and that's uh, different in, in other parts of the world. So it's different in the US, Europe and um, Asia and the sure. rest of the countries as it's a big organization. There's, uh, there's It's Disney. They're a little bit big, you know, yeah, there's a little bit. Quite sizable. I wanted yeah. to, what I just wanted to briefly get into was what, I guess, your, your role at, at Makers and, and for all of Disney because it seemed, at least from your descriptions when we were talking earlier, like you were doing that job for Disney, for like paving the way like finding the new things and you your job even had this great kind of I got to admit corporate sounding title was it non-linear programming or something non-linear media yeah non-linear media so yes. what what is the word for lot what does non-linear media mean and why is it what's linear and why is it non-linear well it's a little bit loaded term I agree uh, but in essence what it means it's all digital platforms that include social media platforms and all new means of distribution uh, that are not happening through linear distribution channels. And what a linear distribution channel is, is is something where you as a user don't necessarily have control on how things are presented to you, hence they're linear. So okay. you can think about linear radio is linear because you mm. just tune in and whatever is on is on and that's a linear flow of, of content. Mm. If you go and watch television, it's the same thing. It's linear, meaning they programmed it for you. Um, and what uh, what is called non-linear is, is the platforms and the means of distribution where you as a user have control on what are you watching. Right. That must be very, very interesting because, I mean, while we're certainly you guys are already working at the edge here in Estonia, but for, I mean, with Disney, with the size of that company and the, the money involved and resources and the things they want to do, that must that's really working at the top end of town. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very, very exciting. And it's it's definitely one of the coolest companies to work for in the whole world, I would say. Okay. And uh, over here, we've got Bright. How are you, buddy? You doing good, mate? Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm fine. Good, good. I'm cutting you in there. It's all good. Sorry about that. I'm going from one to the other here. So, uh, what's, so your, tell us again, just fill us in on your background. So, you were... Uh, so all I kind of know is you're the drummer for the Carl Eric Talkar band. That's kind of what I knew of you before. So tell us a bit more about what you yeah, did. Yeah, uh, actually, uh, after high school, I knew for right from the beginning that uh, uh, I should study law uh, right. in university. Uh, and actually, uh, my first uh, profession was auditor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> auditor. <laughs> yeah, I was... I was controlling uh, companies uh, and doing uh, mm, research for them. Uh, and uh, by the time I was auditor, uh, my friend uh, Karlik Taukar uh, went mm. to uh, Estonian Idol uh, show and became famous and started uh, his own band uh, mm. where I was also involved. Uh, and um, right from there, uh, uh, we started uh, touring together and... Uh, uh, once we got the time where uh, Karlerik needed some uh, agency to book his concerts, so um, 
so I I stepped into this uh, agency business. I start uh, was booking manager for um, Karek Taukar and also other artists uh, uh, during that time. Uh, and uh, I think uh, uh, two years after that, uh, we uh, was were talking with Sandra about uh, this uh, content create creators business mm. and uh, i had um, uh, one uh, booking on the table at the, that time uh, there was one artist i was uh, organizing a concert for her and also a client asked uh, uh, his instagram uh, campaign uh, uh, with the concert also okay. so it was funny that I said to the sender, oh, uh, I'm doing this thing right now as a in very small amount, but mm. but something is cooking. Oh. Yeah. And you, you saw that uh, that this line, that these content creators were coming up, and I guess you've already identified by this stage that manager them is basics. Are, it's the same kind of formula while they're doing different things. It's the same principles that you could then apply to looking after a content creator instead. Yes, precisely. Yeah, and uh, by that time, uh, Sander was uh, introducing uh, YouTube World to me. Uh, mm-hmm. And what year was this? Uh, what? What year was this? Uh, two thousand four, f- five, five, I think. Yeah, two thousand fifteen. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Two thousand fifteen, I think. It All was. right. So, like three years ago, three and a half years ago, yeah. or something yeah. like that. About so. Yeah. And uh, and we jumped in. Uh, we created. Uh, company and started uh, learning things uh, in YouTube media. Okay. What was the first, who was the first content creator that you had working with Creative? Sander Saar. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it's like, who's the first comedy Estonia comedian? Louis Ezrin. Yeah, yeah, I don't really count like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but then tell us. Actually, I, I was a content creator, but that was yeah. like way, way longer. It was probably... 10 years ago when I was doing my YouTube channel. Right. I saw some of your videos today. Very interesting. Seriously? I don't, oh, you're I, don't, I don't think you saw those. Well, I don't like, know. Maybe not those ones. And I saw, looked at your website and I saw some like, of your reviews. Even, even without knowing what branded content was, 10 years ago, I decided to hitchhike from Tallinn to uh, Spain, to Tarifa, and not spend a penny. Mm. How do you do that? So I, was, uh, I wanted to kind of record that. So I just was video blogging along the way. And I got brands to sponsor everything from my clothing to what I was filming with, what I was uploading with. So, and I was then video blogging it all all along the way. But that was like ten years ago when like no one was watching YouTube. Right. It's still out there. It's quite embarrassing. But <laughs> how was, were you it, finding it, it, those sponsors? It was the start. Um, how do you I, go like yo? I'm just going to backpack and yeah. How do you say that's that? That's pretty much what I did. Okay. So uh, most of them were cold outreach. Um, even though I had some experience in working with brands actually before during the businesses that I was running in Estonia before with my brother and then before that a student company. So I had some experience in working with brands, uh, Mm. but basically I I promised them exposure and in return for that exposure, um, they offered their products at the time um, and that covered my costs all the way to hitchhiking to Spain. And I was vlogging it with the laptop at the time on my 
on the palm of my hand. I was walking around like this. I mean, you can see. Oh, that was the camera. The webcam was the, the webcam cam. in a laptop. Yeah, that's how I vlogged. Because there was no phones, right? There was no iPhone. Okay, two thousand. Uh, that was ten years it, ago, it was right? It was okay, one of the first ones, yep. but uh, yeah, but that didn't really uh, cut it. No, uh, they weren't the very ones, good. Yeah. So anyway, I used that. Um, that's how I was a vlogger. But I wasn't the first creator for Greatly because I had, I had kind of, uh, uh, spent my time elsewhere and didn't have the focus to continue that. But um, so mm. other creators who's. Um, who continued and who were working hard to develop their channels and their content. Um, and the first one we worked with was uh, Matt Dehalik, and he was also part of our founding team. And really, when he joined, that's where it came together, and that's where we started greatly. Hmm. Was there, at the beginning, was there, uh, I want to say, maybe a, not maybe a skepticism or at least um, a confusion that the content creators just had never encountered that this could be a thing? That I'm sure that especially back then there was a lot of young people that are trying to make videos, do the what they can, and it sort of never knew they never kind of understood back then that this could be a business or they could have support or the ways that artist management does work. Was there some at first sort of like, huh, what you want? You want my money? Or was it sort of someone with like Marty was there like, yeah, I get this. I'm sick of handling. I I need some help. How did it kind of go? It was probably both ways. Um, yeah, ta uh, talents are different. Uh, someone. Uh, needed money, someone needed just support uh, producing videos mm. and uh, our idea was to cover all the stuff what the creator needed to uh, build his, uh, his or her channel. Mm. And obviously some of them um, I guess that also comes from for what reason they were doing it because um, I think it's good of course when you don't do it for the money and you, you shouldn't do anything just for the sake of money. I mean, sometimes people have to, but generally sure. speaking, I think it's healthy for everybody to focus on, on what they really want to, what they feel they really want to get better at than what they want to give to the world. And I think a lot of those creators, uh, when we started, had started with that aim. They had something to say. They had their specific areas they wanted to cover. They didn't see that no one's everywhere. Anybody's talking about it and they wanted to get out there and share their passion. That's was it, how was it like that because at first started. there wasn't money? So at first those people inherently had to be there for the Exactly. Art. And I think that's really the key. Like people were there for the art mm. and the money will follow. I guess that's the, that's the simple way of putting it. And of course now when people see that there is money, there you see people who start with um, other intentions. They mm. go there just for the fame and money and... and Oftentimes, if not in all of the cases, we see them fading away, if not in six months, then in a year and a bit afterwards, because uh, it's really uh, hard work Absolutely. to make it work with your art. Um, yeah, like so if someone, yeah, that's a very interesting idea that someone would just get into content creation only for the money, which is like an odd thing. I'm like, what? You want to try and make YouTube for just for the money? Because, like you know, it seems so easy on the surface, right? right? When someone looks at the video, I think if you, if we went outside and, and asked for people, like, how, how many hours do you think that person has put in that video? Then mm. people will probably greatly underestimate that and say, okay, in order to get that seven-minute video out, they probably spent in a half an hour, an hour doing it. But no, it's like, it's prep, it's mm. filming, it's editing, it's sharing that all takes much, much longer hard work, dedication, effort, and you're not going to see any fruits un until years have passed. 
I'd say that uh, it's more easy to be a singer than a content creator to, if you, if you want to earn money. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because well, if you're a singer, you write a song, maybe you get on the radio a couple of times, boom, you're getting booked at every club all of a sudden. Is that what you mean? Yeah, just or how? start uh, organizing concerts and sing <laughs> mm. rather than uh, uh, creating, producing videos uh, and be building channel. Is there something about, because to sing then, okay, what well, you write, let's say, I don't know, five songs, ten songs or something. Then or even you do if those you don't songs. write your own music, you just go and, and play the music or sing. Just go and sing. Right, okay. And you do it live, so it just kind of happens where to be online, you've got to record and you've got to prayer and prep and edit. And, and the thing is, like, people are used to paying for singers. Mm. Um, like, if you go to different pubs and bars and... And there's usually money paid for those gigs, at least the minimum amount, sure. uh, so that they can earn their living. But online, everybody expects to get everything for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes, those creators, therefore, don't get paid fairly mm-hmm. from what they're doing. That's interesting. How, like, when a, any young artist starts out and thinks, okay, look, I'm not in it for the money, but I still got to pay my rent. Which is, fair, which is also a fair enough thing, Completely right? Completely fair. I've got to pay my rent. I've got to do that. I can't totally ignore the money. So I've got to find some money from somewhere to try to live. I've been making these YouTube videos. Of course, it's Estonia. So there's not much ad revenue coming off that, especially at the beginning. So then you have to decide how the fuck am I going to support myself? And it does seem like what you guys have done as, uh, and it's more common with the online content creators now is go for endorsements and go for sponsors. Um I want to dig into that idea about that you've got an artist, they're making videos and people like the videos. And then at some stage, uh, they either decide they need a bit of extra cash or the brand comes along and says, hey, this guy is cool. We want to work with him. Um, it's It seems like your content creators don't, they still pick, but mm, what am I trying to say? Uh they're pretty open, it seems, to doing different sponsorships depending on how it works. And I'm only, and the reason I'm getting to this, I realize I'm going around the world, is because at Comedy Estonia, we're fucking allergic to sponsors, like, like a rash. And it's not the sponsor's fault, it's kind of our fault. It's coming from the, the heart of us. And I don't think it's particularly healthy, but that's why I like talking to you guys because you've got a completely different view on these things. And... Often with stand-up comedy, we're viewed as su- we all think we're super independent and oh, I'm telling the truth up there on the stage and all this kind of bullshit. But you don't often see, a, well, you never see a stand-up comedian endorsing something on a stage. Um, and so I feel that is like because the stage is our primary channel and we never sell down our primary channel. But you, with a YouTube content creator, uh, your primary channel, and I mean channel in a very loose sense, not a YouTube sense. Oh, you know, very often it's putting a, a, a sponsorship down that primary channel as well. What are some, I, I guess, talk us through how does a content creator look at a partnership? How do they evaluate whether a brand is a good idea? Um, are these content creators typically cool to go with it? Or are they like, uh, uh, or what? T- talk us through this experience. Uh, I think we're somewhere in the middle. Like uh, we're not, too open for sponsorship because mm. uh, uh, we need to find only organic sponsors that really match with the channel and the talent. Uh, I think that's the first thing what we have to know if the campaign is matching with the talent. So if if not, then there's no uh, co-work. 
Okay. Yeah, so that's definitely the first filter is whether the brand and their message is even appropriate uh, for that channel. All right, that and, makes a lot and, of sense. And that's sure. where you should be allergic. Like, yeah. you guys should be allergic. <laughs> we should be allergic. Everybody should be. Because otherwise, something that is art will very quickly turn into just a commercial that no one likes to watch anyway. Mm. So that's the first, first, first filter. Then the second thing is whether the... And that's talking from brand's perspective as well, whether the audience that is watching that channel is relevant for that brand messaging, what they're going out with. Um, mm. And then we find kind of whose audience from the talent is most relevant, who they are trying to reach. Mm -hmm. um, and then finding a creative solution that is most organic to their channel uh, that would meet the brand's uh, needs. And that's where probably the m most... Uh, um, effort needs to be put in because um, it can very easily from a traditional thinking turn into a commercial or brand expects to have X number of seconds their brand exposed in that video or a certain line said in that video and those things don't fit 99% mm. of the cases they don't fit to that channel so brands also need to completely rethink the format they're going after like in the same way you don't put a radio ad on TV you're not, you shouldn't think about YouTube the same way you think about TV commercial. Um, the challenge is that a lot of the times those briefs are coming through agencies who do a ton of TV ads or do a ton of like commercial ads. Mm. And therefore, they expect same metrics and same integrations that they see through other channels. And it takes a lot of education uh, work uh, from our side specifically to work with a brand to help them understand what is feasible and what isn't. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll find then a feasible creative solution that works for both sides. And that's mm -hmm. where you can go into production. And then we also obviously measure those results back to the brand to help them understand the impact uh, that that content has had uh, to the audience. So it's definitely a, um, a fine line you're walking when you're working with brands and sponsors. Yeah. Because... Um, on one side, you want to protect the art and the channel mm. and the audience ultimately because those people have wo worked in their channel for at least two years before they can even get to an audience that is interesting for sponsors. And they don't want to just kind of let it down the drain because of one brand video. Um, oh, okay, all that time they that, built their fans. That's definitely right? not worth it to essentially what you call sell out mm. um, in that one video. So you would rather say no to that and focus on your art than take that money and then kind of uh, betray your audience. Because um, mm. ultimately the creators, the artists are the ones who know their audience best because they've been working with them at least every week, if not every day. Um, and especially when they work online, they get really good uh, response and feedback straight away, which is something that doesn't necessarily happen on other platforms. Mm. How is it, uh, do you find brands, uh, or does it, I guess it's on a brand by brand basis, but tell us like some brands uh, seem to be willing to kind of let go and let the content creator just do your thing. And others are sort of like, no, we, we want the control and it's strict enough. Is there times when a brand says, hey, we really like this performer, they're cool, and then you kind of work through it that the brand just isn't willing to budge and just isn't willing to kind of do it in, uh, in the way that is compatible? I think we have had like every experience <laughs> what we can have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that uh, 
Uh, and I uh, I can say that uh, always the best experiences are where a brand uh, is giving uh, uh, their trust to the talent and uh, the talent can uh, do his or her thing mm. uh, with with his channel um, and the experiences where a brand has uh, like a very straight campaign uh, usually that doesn't work uh, somehow on uh, uh, creators' channels. I bet. Because it's not native, it's not organic and people mm. will see that. People will see straight through that because they've been watching that channel for months or years as well so they know what mm. the creator stands for and if, if there's going to be something that just doesn't feel right mm. then it's definitely not good for any party. I often, I try to do something which I, I think in a way you guys do as well which we talked about which was what's happening in the main industry and how those trends are going. And that's something, Sander, you're super on the bleeding edge of, of knowing what's the, the next thing. And not only with your work uh, in LA, but also just you know, you're a thinker about this sort of stuff. So you're looking at what's happening internationally, looking at the big end of town and then saying, okay, how can we, uh, what are the ideas that are relevant and applying them to the Estonian market? And that's a lot what I do with stand-up comedy when I'm not sure what the fuck to do next and I don't know what our net like how do we solve this problem how do we get our artists in here how do we how are we going to deal with spot you know and, and I started to think okay well how do I get these nudge these guys around to being more interested in sponsors being more interested in partnerships and the one thing I do know is that anytime I can show my comedians an example of their their heroes doing it I got a much better chance of getting them to do it and I was, and that's why I was very fascinated to see how different comedian podcasts were handling that. Because I wanted to see how stand-up comedians would find this mm -hmm. with this weird holier-than-thou attitude that stand-up comedians can tend to have. What was the mix? And if you look at, at podcasts like Joe Rogan or Joey Diaz or Theo Vaughn or any one of these top-level guys, um, they have like uh, these sponsor messages at the top. So if you listen to Joe Rogan, he starts off and says, yeah, we're going to do, we're in on it. And we've got this thing. And he kind of talks through, it's a script he's speaking through, but they can, they clearly have the leeway to go say something silly, be dirty or whatever. Like they kind of got a script, but they don't have to stick to it. And it, it always still felt quite uh, forced to me. Whenever I listen to, to those Americans do it, it's like, okay, here are our messages at the top of the show. And I eventually understood that it kind of works for them. And I thought for two reasons. One, that they're America. They're a little bit more used to these sort of commercial placements and stuff like that to begin with. The second thing was, is what they were cleverly doing is sticking everything at the start or the end of the show, or sometimes at a very small break in the middle, so that half the time you can skip ahead or that people just seem to get, cool, I got three minutes of messages and then I'm done. Um... I, I don't know what my question is here. No, We're this around, I, I, but yeah, totally you see what I mean? Like, yeah. Get it, yeah. So I think there's like one thing people are used to commercials. I think they are because mm. they're just present on YouTube anyway and they're present on TV anyway. The only challenge is I think what, why lot, lots of artists and my, why you might also get that resistance from the comedians you work with is that there's some sort of um, kind of dirty meaning of branded content because mm. people think that it's kind of hidden somewhere where they don't see it and then somebody's selling them without them knowing that they're selling it to them. Sure. 
And I think that's why a lot of artists don't want to do it because they, they don't want... That's a bad feeling. It feels like you're selling it someone without them kind of knowing that you're doing it. Betraying some trust or something. Exactly. Or they can feel exactly, like that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Betraying their trust. And that's really... That's something that you shouldn't do. And I think it's mm. key there um, to um, embed transparency. When somebody is doing a sponsored post, mm. they should be transparent about it. And I think that's why you might, you don't also mind when you're listening to those podcasts which have commercial partners that they say this show is brought to you by this, this, and then have the message from the sponsor. Ideally, those people will be using those products anyway so that they can truly endorse them from their heart um, and not be just like a commercial script that they actually don't care about. Um, and if they use it, they can also joke around it because ultimately they still believe in the brand. Mm. So in an ideal scenario, you would have something that they believe in. You'll be completely transparent. I We at Creatly totally vote for being transparent and having that sponsored uh, tag um, either in description or when it's an Instagram post underneath the post because uh, we see a lot of value in bringing that transparency between the audience and the creator because they need to know that this is something that I got paid for mm. um, or this is a video that I made in collaboration with that brand. And oftentimes, actually, what we also see is that audience appreciates it. Like, you can see it in the comments. Uh, some people also say thank you to those brands that they helped their favorite creator to make that video because otherwise that video maybe was a higher production video, something that they would not otherwise do and they actually see it working well. So I guess transparency is key there and being fit for the artist is anyway has to be there um, and I don't think the audience minds because the audience also knows that those creators need to live somewhere they would much rather mm -hmm. those creators to have one or two commercial videos every every couple of months or, or once a month uh, than not have them around anyway because they love their content and if they can't make money with it one day they might not be there so mm -hmm. they would have to find a way to make it work. And it ultimately is like a transaction of time, right? They're giving you your time and in return, um, they're, you, you're kind of using that attention for, for other means to help make your ends meet as well. Because ultimately, as you said, like you mm -hmm. need to pay your rent. And mm -hmm. at least as long as you make that bare minimum, you're fine. Because then you can, you, yep. can, you can dedicate to the art and you can get better. Um, and ultimately maybe not do those videos anymore if you don't like them or if you like them continue doing them because they are fit for the purpose they're fit for your channel the content etc yeah that's one thing at comedy estonia we're pretty close to hiring now a financial specialist some sort of financial officer an accountant someone to handle the money side and you're becoming to, a big business now well yeah it's <laughs> like there's too much stuff and i can barely keep control over it like everything's under control yeah. but i don't think it would be control in one more year if I was just me. And and frankly, I don't want the responsibility of looking at the bank balance anymore. I actually want someone else's someone yeah. else to have that weight on their shoulders and for them to tell me, go work, make more money. Just just go make money. Because what uh I, the reason I, I come commented that, because you said, oh, maybe they can get to a level where if they didn't like it that much, they can not do it anymore no, but uh, what i mean by when they're big enough then they can have ha other alternatives other means uh, to make that money yeah this is well okay this is a good one well, I mean, okay yeah because then they can widen their horizon like then they can introduce things like doing merch for mm. example um or other um branded products that they want to do or collaborations where they create products 
So ultimately then the value exchange is not just integrating you to the content, but also doing something that the fans can buy. Right. So um, what, what can and, a content and, and creator do? And for that, do? you need to be a, a certain size in order to, to do that. Right. Okay. Because you need to be a certain popularity till someone's going to buy your yeah. t-shirt. As long as like, it becomes feasible. Exactly. Right. Or they would show up to your live shows or live gigs, right? Mm. Um, that's another thing. When it's fit for that artist to also do live entertainment, then that's another way to go about it. Um, another way to go about it, when you ask like, what are things that artists can do, they can also... Um, kind of uh, do content for other channels, um, which is something that we're also looking inside. Uh, Creatly is we create channels together with them, which will, again, create additional opportunities for them to express them creatively, but also make money out of it. Um, um, and that's something that's happening a lot. I mean, if you look at a traditional artist, that's what they do as well. They go to different TV shows where they star or they go to different movies where they star. It's not just kind of one ally they take because, again that is not necessarily feasible long-term. And when they're big enough, they become interesting for other um, outlets as well. Okay, they become, right, they become known in the media and a lot of and your And they're valuable for other clients. channels and, and, and media as well. Yeah, exactly. Sure, regular media, other channels and so forth. Yeah. Oh, there was a lot there. That was very interesting. There was so much in that. Because I wanted to ask, yeah, what are the other options that a content creator has to how else can they... But they, they end up, it seems, becoming a general social media slash media personality and once they get to a certain higher level then it's like well what are the options open to any media personality uh and that could be yeah as you say to be on different channels different things different forms of media and TV, dif yeah. different ways of monetization then as well on top of that mm. which includes merch for example as well do you think that we have a or writing books or doing games and there's a ton of examples like oh, yeah. for example like i mean from from just the big examples and names that people might know, mm. UK, um, uh, one of the most popular female YouTubers, Suella, launched um, a makeup line with another company that was using her brand. Mm. And she developed those products in collaboration with them or different colors uh, with them. That was a hugely successful um, activity. PewDiePie, uh, the largest YouTuber to date, mm. um, he launched a game, um, um a YouTuber game with a small game studio again using his name and he made revenue from that um, and he also has written books mm. uh, which are just kind of in the in the vein of what he's doing with his channel but but still kind of expanding on that being another creative outlet but also helping him to monetize uh, his content better in a way that people are used to paying for these things because the the challenge with doing um, content online is that people expect to have everything for free um, on Instagram, YouTube and Facebook and if they mm. don't get it for free they will either pirate it somewhere so ultimately they will find a way to get it for free so you'll have to find ways of what audience is willing to pay for or what they're used to pay for um, and use those allies to help you monetize yourself uh, or your brand better Sure. Do you think that the the situation is a little different for us because uh, I think, and correct me if I'm a bit wrong here, but a lot of what we're trying to do, you guys and also Comedy Estonia, is we are, though, specifically trying to tackle a geographic market, which is the Republic of Estonia. And does that change... How does that change the game? Because if you're someone... If you're just a PewDiePie, you're worldwide, you know, Mr. Worldwide. But you've... I mean, if your artists are only doing it in Estonian language, then that's... Estonian speakers is your market. And I, I, I 
I was thinking about this because with Comedy Estonia, we've been thinking about our social media presence as well. And for us, yeah, it, it really changed to think like, well, we only need Estonians. We're not trying, Comedy Estonia is not trying to make a fan of someone in Finland or Sweden or America or that would be lovely, but that's not useful. That's not our cultural goal and it's not a goal that's ever really going to make us any money. Does that, knowing that, and I don't just mean like targeting, right? I mean like, does that sort of just change the focus of a content creator somehow or does it slightly different if you're going worldwide or Estonia? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it cha- changes everything because uh, uh, when you're an uh, international content creator, then you can uh, focus on one uh, uh line uh, w- uh, of business but uh, in Estonia you have to reach out uh, to every uh, kind of uh, we've all deal. got a hustle here yeah okay yeah you have to like uh, discover what uh, what are business lines for you but at the same time being local also gives you advantages because you can mm. become the biggest and most relevant here like the reality is yes PewDiePie is the biggest in the world mm. but it's pretty much not the biggest in any market Okay. Uh, so if you go to France, Germany, yes, he might be in top ten. Um, he might be in top ten in Estonia, but mm. he's rarely the biggest uh, in that market. So that kind of mm. gives him as well, like in ev- any other market where those brands are still, oftentimes investing locally, mm. um, their media dollars, or even if you think about merch and how the retail works, it's it's still predominantly local i mean as more and more is happening online yes those borders are opening as well but to to this day this is how it's still working so a lot of the times you still see brands and retailers still going with their local biggest names like, like they would rather go with the biggest german guy than pewdiepie Makes because, sense. even though it, he might be in a, the biggest in the world right mm. um, especially in the those language regions but at the same time even if you go to australia like pewdiepie might be big there because he's also english-speaking country and and he's relevant there, but there's like 20 other Australian guys who are much bigger than he is in Australia. Mm. So those brands would much rather then work with those Australian guys than the, the worldwide biggest guy. And I think the same analogy also applies not just because of language, but also with uh, the cultural relevance to Estonia, uh, that those guys who are biggest in this kind of relatively smaller pond are still uh, largely more relevant to the, the brands, advertisers, retailers, um, and the audience, um, as you can see from the, the numbers, uh, the viewership numbers, than those who are the global stars. That makes a lot of sense. And I would even take that even one step further. A thought that I had with Comedy Estonia at the beginning was was when we started, it was myself, it was Stuart Johnson, an American, uh, Eric Sufert, American, and Andre Tuch, who's Estonian. And so like three foreigners and Estonian. But, but all our shows were in English at the beginning, and we're doing shows around town and we're this like really underground thing that people are starting to get into. And because I was always the host, people were always like, I'm, all, I'm there most of the time in front of people. So people got to know me just simply because I was hosting every show. And so I, I think, quickly became, you know, well known or, you know, out in front in terms of how well I was known. But it always occurred to me from the beginning. It just seemed so logical to me that I will never be the most famous comedy Estonia stand-up comedian in Estonia because eventually one of our Estonian language comedians will not only surpass me in talent, but then also because he's speaking, or his or her, pardon me, speaking in (laughs) 
local language, talking about local things, making that local connection. Yeah. That was always, always going to be more powerful yeah. than me. And I understood that from the beginning. I had no qualms about that. In fact, that was why I was very happy to be a manager and go, cool, Sander, Mikhail, Carl, go be famous. Because yeah. I bet you people will be into that. You know, yeah. Ultimately, that will rise above me. And that, as we saw with Sander first, that did. He did yeah. you know, become more popular. I'm very happy for that now. So even inside of this, it's not like by that, it's not even like, you know, hey, PewDiePie's moving to Tallinn. And uh, all of a sudden, he's going to be in every H&M video. Well, maybe, but... It's unlikely. still unlikely, yeah. but then it's also not the uh, the same as having a real local person. That there is something, and and even with uh, even with the the pod- podcast Tusi Soya, what they're talking about, it's not revolutionary, but it's just being done in Estonian language by yeah. two young Estonian men. That's the revolutionary thing. Yeah, in it, I think totally. Yeah, so, local relevance is key. Mm, okay. So we are, because sometimes I used to get all bummed out, like, oh, am I just working? Am I just a big fish in a small pond? And I don't mean to make it out like I'm a big fish, but you, just the analogy, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, why am I working this small market? And uh, eventually I brought it back to, well, I just like it. Like, I just, yeah. it's fun. I like it here. I like this market. Um, I think Estonia is an amazing training ground as well, that we kind of can control it and work it and know all the angles and really get our shit in order here. And uh, as a very crude example, when we go to England, I mean, we've done a couple of Estonian language shows in London. And when we travel, we're a unit. We know there's someone in charge. And if it's not me, it's Carl. And if it's not Carl, it's Sander. And we all kind of fall into our roles. We're a tight crew. We can walk into that room, set it up and make it happen because we practiced our shit here. It's like we're like a little army or something drilled and, and getting it right. So, yeah, that... The geographic reference was was very interesting to me. Um, how that? Let's let's move on to um, if you right now uh, with this thing that people might want to become a content creator, young people uh, getting a camera, filming themselves, making clips, they're getting a couple of subscribers. Someone's into them, you know. This sort of rising up, doing a few things. At what stage does a creator come onto your radar? Maybe bright. When do you start going? Oh, that guy's he's got like a five hundred subs, but that's kind of interesting. Talk, talk us uh, yeah, that. of course. Uh, uh, if a content creator is passionate uh, and doing it from uh, uh, from the beginning, from the beginning for right uh, purposes, uh, then then <laughs> he or she is already in our uh, <laughs> radar. Mm. But. Uh, but uh, we come in uh, at the point where we can uh, give any kind of value. Uh, if we can help him or her, then uh, we want to be there. Mm. And I mean, in the beginning, it was it was we were a lot more uh, data driven because um, then we just looked at like who mm. are the biggest creators in Estonia uh, by just the number of views mm. um, and then we started to look into them and then qualitatively worked our way through and who's actually fit um, or who can actually benefit from what we're doing and, and who we can add value like that's really the core of it uh, it's like where we can help them okay. like that's where it starts right um, okay so you see an artist and you might go like ah, oh, they could do that bit or yeah. they've got a, an angle that I reckon sponsors would love or 
they're going to do something that I think, wow, that's on the edge and that's really cool. I want to. Yeah, sponsors work with is them. is rarely the starting point. Okay. Like for us as well, mm. the mission why we started was to help um, Estonian independent creators to do what they love full time. Like that's right. why we started. That's why we exist. Mm. And brand sponsors is not the end of the game. Sure. Um, and it's not something like, hey, we can see that that can really work with that brand. In some specific cases where we already know what what the brand is looking for, then we might specifically go after and try and find the creators who are fit for that. But we don't really see it as like individual creators. We see it much more like how we can help everybody, the creators, com- creator community here, mm. to do everything what they want to do better. And there are some that we work closer by default. Um, and some of them which are just we work with whenever we can help them. Um, and they're not necessarily like we don't see it as a requirement to be part of greatly. Mm, okay. uh, it's it's probably something that So what might be give us some examples of the lower end and the upper end. So the upper end would be like, okay, you're really managing maybe the prominent person in the media, so they really got to handle different engagements and that. And what's another example at the lower end where you might just give some advice, maybe a little help nudge here and there? Yeah. So uh, the uh, and again, like for that, we don't even we don't even look at that as like we need to be like contractually oh, yeah. uh, in a place where we're like anybody's forced to do something. No. Oh, you can't force it's, artists. It's, you cannot force artists to do anything. So totally. I get this bit. We don't. I think I've spoken about this before. We don't. I don't necessarily have a contract. Yeah. With our top comedians, it says you're going to do the next two tours yeah. and then you're going to do this and you do that because, and we even went to the stage of drawing up contracts yeah. just because I didn't know. I'm like, we did oh. draw up contracts. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. And then I looked through them and I looked over them and I thought, oh, and then I thought, well, a contract is only good when you can enforce it. Yeah. Otherwise, a contract doesn't mean anything. And I was like, how am I, if, if I piss someone off, and they don't want to work with Comedy Estonia anymore. But you still got to do that national tour. They won't. No, no. fucking do it. Or you do that tour, but they only did it at six. How do you tell the artist only did it at 60% efficiency yeah. rather than full 120%? Yeah. So no. I found as well, the only way you can get artists to do their thing is to make them happy. So yeah, we initially, we had contracts, um, but it was there mostly just for the commitment because like we hadn't formed... The company yet and we just wanted to know that when we do that like mm. are we all are we going to be in it like can we start together as a family and uh, that's where we saw value of it like i agree with you that ultimately it's less and less relevant to be honest um what we've seen moving forward because mm. it's all about like how we can help them and so a full-on uh kind of collaboration would look like us representing and helping them in brand deals where they need help but ultimately our aim there is to give them all the guidance and like how to price their uh content how to price their channel like the models that we built um how to work with brands like what do they expect and what you should kind of provide them um Mm -hmm. and kind of be relatively independent uh, in doing this we don't need to be there Um, and when we're there yes uh, we can be there and if they need help and if they don't want to go to those meetings themselves and they don't see brand understanding why their content is priced that way, then yes, we're very happy to jump in and help educate uh, the brands or agencies, whoever is on the other side. And um, and then we have a specific agreement for that deal. Um, we also help them with um, their uh, live stuff, as you said, like when they're going and doing some trainings or smaller meet and greets uh, or they're going to media. 
um, these kinds of things. We also do live events with them. Mm. Um, so, um, um, East YouTuber, Estonian YouTubers Live was one of those events. Uh, Play Noop, uh, Play Button is the awards gala that we organize once mm. a year for all the social media creators. Um, we do events with them and we do events for them. Um, and also like smaller training sessions where we talk about like storytelling or writing and then we have someone coming in and doing a workshop, uh, things like that. We help them as well. We've experimented with uh, merch. So we still have a merch store and some of those um, uh, creators are big enough and strong enough to justify continuing with it. Some of them um, didn't work out mm. um, and uh, and we got our learnings and we approach it moving forward. Um, but these are the basic like areas that we help them with. And something that we focus on now and moving forward a lot is developing new brands with them, new channels with them, where it can be another creative outlet for them to experiment um, or express themselves, something that is not necessarily fit to their own channel. It's not something that the mm. audience expects from their channel, uh, but it's something where they can do and be something else or someone else. Um, and um, and also be additional revenue stream for them. And this is something where we work very, very closely with uh, the talent who are part of that mm. um, and where we can add a lot of value on both sides. Tell me again, because I get I, I, I need this explained to me again because I think I get it, but I don't quite get it. Mm. So I'm a creator and I've got a channel, might be a YouTube channel. I'm, let's say I'm pumping out a video every week. Fans like it. They're fairly consistent. I've got my thing. And what seems to be the thing, what you've just said, is that if they want to try something different, it should be on a separate channel. And I still kind of always thought from the beginning, like, well, it's my fucking channel. I'll just put whatever the fucking video yeah. I want down there. Oh, you put some other video. Uh, who cares? Don't watch it. Their audience cares. Yeah, but I, I just never got why an audience cares. Just don't watch this other kind of video. Just watch that other one. Like, And I get, I, I understand what you're saying is the truth. I'm not disputing what you're saying. Yeah. I guess it's sort of, is there any, what's the psychology there of, is it just people are so used to seeing a theme down one, they just know that's it and it's, they just can't cope with anything else. It's the way I think else. the YouTube platform has evolved as well, where a channel is now taken almost like a series. So mm -hmm. they expect, um, when you subscribe to a channel, you subscribe to a certain type of video, certain um, series. Uh, so when something like completely different comes from that, then audience... And you can see that in many other channels where they've experimented with other things. The audience will mm. be like, oh, never subscribe to that. Unsubscribe now. Wow. Um, and that happens. I think like audience there is, is oftentimes forgiving and they will come back. Mm. Um, but it's, it's not just about experimenting because those channels, their own main core channels need to evolve creatively as well all the time. In order for you to stay relevant, you constantly need to push yourself. Mm. Like something you were doing two years ago is unlikely going to work today in the same way that it was done, meaning like technically the same way, same quality or story-wise or editing-wise. I think that progression happens all the time and needs to happen for you to stay relevant. Uh, but there's other things that are completely different. Maybe you are in your own video, on, in your own channel. You are a vlogger. You are yourself. But you might want to experiment how it would be when you are uh, like a character, you're acting. And mm -hmm. for you okay, to do that sense. on your own channel, that could not, might not fit there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something you as an artist want to do, want to experiment with. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that you can do when you do it with others on another channel or you do it yourself as, a, as another channel. Like, for example, 
Victoria Villig has got two channels. Uh, one of her channels is doing blogs, mm-hmm. where she goes mostly travel blogs, and her other channel is purely comedy sketches. In those comedy sketches, she's almost never herself. She's always acting um, mm. in, in why one way or another. Uh, but that's her kind of main channel, what she considers. And in her vlogs, she's always herself. That's kind of the, oftentimes the behind the scenes, but also like the other stuff that she enjoys doing, which is travel vlogging. So that's an example where like audience is not expecting uh, to be blasted with all of her vlogs while they are only interested in her sketches. Yeah, that does make sense. I guess guess I kind of understood it, but it's good just to hear it again. I do kind of get that people need to be separate and... And even, I mean, in, I enjoy experimenting on this podcast because I don't care, like, listen or not listen, it's fine. People are still coming to stand-up shows. Or I'm not going to try and do this at a stand-up show or something like that. So I do get on some level that we have different things with different channels. I like to think about it like if you're making pop music and you want to try some metal tracks mm. to produce, then you, you, will, you would do it uh, under the, some other name. Yeah, very just, likely. Yeah, just to experience. This is true. This makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's just me. It's just my weird hang-up. But now I get it. Or you might have artists who play different roles in different bands. Like that's mm. the same way. Or you have, uh, I mean, actors. It's kind of obvious because that's what they do every day. <laughs> but uh, but they can also sometimes want to play themselves, and then they could have an outlet for that. Carlet mm-hmm. Dauker is always speaking about that he wants to do a band where he's bass player, not singer. <laughs> yeah, his, it's his dream he plays bass does he yeah. yeah oh cool okay that's nice i get that he's an artist and he just wants to get out there and play bass as well right on yeah yeah like why not that. so it's like it's it's experimenting it's doing something different uh, but at the same time it also offers them additional income mm. um or it could become something that offers them additional income of course it's not going to be that, that from the beginning it has to again start from the art that has to be the reason you do it and then it can has the potential to grow into another ally revenue stream for them to make money. Makes sense. I've I've tried to to tell my comedians that think of I I think of the stand up as their primary channel and channel is a broader sense here. Yeah, yeah. And then the other things that they do are their secondary and other channels. So very clearly, my stand up is my primary channel that I'm trying to push out by. But now we've got everyone's got their own podcast. That's our secondary channel. And the difference for us, though, is that we're, we're trying to express ourselves on one hand here. A part of it is reinforcing the primary channel. You know, now many more people know Mikhail Mema from the Tusi Soyad podcast, so they'll come and see him live as well. And we're seeing that one kind of, because they were so different, one could flow back into the next one. I guess also you can look at it that way where the these other channels, um, mm. you go basically where the audience is. I mean, podcasts, l- like listeners' numbers are just going up massively mm. recently. So you're really going also where the audience is. It's a different medium. So you can also do other things that you can't do necessarily on stage, right? So it's both ways. It's an artistic thing, but mm. it's also kind of a marketing thing where you find new audiences that might then learn about you as a stand-up comedian and then might come to your shows depending on what you make of that podcast makes sense so if we have that coming back to that idea of primary channel which is very clear you have channel channels where i have different sorts of ideas of channels but um how what i'm interested in with a content creator is this stuff is all really new 
and you guys only founded this company three and a half years ago and you just made a comment like that any well any artist but particularly content creators it seems needs to keep evolving they need to keep adapting and evolving and and there and what i'm interested in is that because this is so new there isn't necessarily a lot of history to look at where with stand-up comedy, at least with the stand-up comedy part of what Comedy Estonia does, I've got 40 to 50 years of stand-up heritage to look at. Our heroes who have established this have come and gone. Bless their soul, Richard Pryor, uh, Carlin, uh, Lenny Bruce back in the day. They've come, they've, our heroes have already come, done and died. Um, and we've seen multiple generations. So again, if I want an answer to a question about, fuck, what do we do next? I might look to history and look to my industry. You guys don't have a lot of history to work with and that to think like, well, a creator in this position can look to this in a couple of years and this a bit more. And how do you plan someone's career path when this has never been done before? The biggest change is to look at the enabler. And I think the difference here is that internet or the access to the internet mm. has really um, been the defining moment for independent creators. Um, and I guess everybody who's listening to this is because they are listening to podcasts, they're one way mm. or another part of that. They are preparing mm. uh, or they now have access to basically anybody and everybody. I could be listening to my friend on a podcast. I can listen to the most famous person that I follow, my hero on a podcast because it's open and available to every single po person all around the world. It's truly democratized um, the way the talent can go to the market. Because you can imagine like uh, if we kind of bring the analogy back to the creator space, then mm. if I wanted to make my own movie before, I would have to go to a studio. I would have mm. to pitch my script. I would then have some guys in a room, maybe like five to 10 guys making that call and saying, okay, Luis, you're going to get that money, but I want to see this and this in that mm. story, right? So first of all, I would have the control because I have the money. And then um, they would also kind of uh, be the gatekeepers for you to get access to the audience and the people. There was like no other means for you to distribute it unless you were just printing CDs and DVDs and just distributing them on a the street or selling them on a the street. Mm. So now really every single person has access to create uh, audio, visually, whatever they want to do, whatever they want to create. It's so cheap to create, it's free to distribute. Mm. Uh, and this is something, a moment in history where there is no going back. Like you've unleashed uh, the people. It's like truly, it's like, I don't know. It's like unleashing slaves, if you think about yeah. like the <laughs> democratic word, like democracy yeah. becoming the norm. I mean, oh. if it, whether it's the best, best thing that's happened to humankind, that's one thing, but it's truly like enabled every single artist, every single creator to go out there and talk to the people and mm. show their work, show their passion, uh, whatever they're creating. And that's something that definitely... Um, hasn't been done in history before because we haven't had technology like that before mm. the closest things that we had were like television but it was still like broadcasted to you you had no choice on what's coming from there and you had people deciding what you're going to watch and now it's truly accessible to everybody like we can be making stuff and we can have like people who might be interested might be somewhere in peru watching it mm. um so and how do you plan the future and so the point is like once it's unleashed mm. um there it can only grow bigger because we can see that this is something that people want 
this is what this is what artists want because mm-hmm. artists want the freedom and the access so that they are not controlled by anybody by any means of uh, borders or some rules in between and uh, be it YouTube today could be some other platforms in the future there will always be platforms out there mm-hmm. um, so we we truly believe that this is given now so planning for the future is planning for even more exponential growth uh, in that space. You kind of imply, I, I, I don't know if I'm reading too much between the lines from your words there, that we're still in the, let's call it, overall early adopter stage of this stuff. Oh, big time, yeah, Big yeah. time, oh, okay. Yeah. So we're still in that, but that then implies that there will be some time in the future when it's more mainstream, established, where that's the time when everyone says, well, geez, I wish I'd gotten to this five years ago because I could have... And it, it almost sounded like your advice right now was we are still on the early wave. Just fucking ride it. Just go oh, yeah. for it. Because just by doing right now, we're still in that. Is that actually how do you take it, we don't have nothing yet? <laughs> actually, nothing yet. Uh, everything's gonna will will begin. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean definitely, especially in Estonia. If you think about the Estonian market, oh, yeah. like just. Go out if you're if you're an artist who has a passion, you have something to say, then the the internet is yours. <laughs> like just go and take it, like go and share it, and find if that's something that also has an audience. And if it has an audience, whether it's something that you can make your living out of, if that's truly your passion, if that's truly something you want to do, you have literally all the tools in your disposal. Mm. It's very difficult for me to imagine the next steps in this where. If there is then logically a time when things are established or something and then we've already got these huge content creators even locally in Estonia and then people go like, oh, it's a bit harder to break in because of the big ones. Do you think that's, is that a stage that's going to happen? That really also oh. comes down to how those platforms evolve. Like that, mm. like YouTube has gone back and forth with their decisions as well. Like at some point they went full on and wanted YouTube to become this very professional platform where they were bringing tv content to youtube uh to either kind of release them there or do specific content on youtube uh but they were like tv formats and and tv people and the community on youtube the creators and the audience got pretty annoyed uh because they were favoring those people in their uh, algorithms meaning what was what was recommended and what was on the homepage, and they're also constantly evolving and finding what's the right balance of like when is the platform like maturing and how quickly they want to like get there um or and and the other challenge is like how those guys who've been doing um the traditional media today how they can evolve mm-hmm. um and learn about those platforms and and become relevant again because the, the the divide today between uh who for example the 30 plus euros consider famous and the 30 under consider famous is huge mm. right uh, my younger siblings know nothing about brad pitt like they've never heard about that name, <laughs> like literally and and uh, <laughs> he was a guy in this movie where he yeah, beat himself up uh and then blew up the world yeah no <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah exactly so there's a and at the same time like um, their parents, my parents, don't know mm. anything about uh, Logan Paul right. or KSI or PewDiePie or like any of the other big names which are like global big hits uh, that everybody knows mm. uh, who's under 20. So it's like, a, it's like a huge divide that's happening on those platforms today and that really has opened up the gap kind of for 
for people to go in and and build their audience there like it's it's not like those people brad pitt and you will be equal on youtube oh i can't wait in looks i hope so <laughs> we put a filter on or something i'll get the abs with the photoshop it'll be great yes <laughs> but but you know what i mean like it just like the way the right. way that we both have access to it same way like we mm. both upload our videos the same way we both publish stuff on the same way and, sure and we're we're kind of equal but we still have the platform in between so that's something that could change the game a little bit um, but that's really the foundation of YouTube uh, was to make it accessible to everybody and give everybody a chance uh, to grow on their platform. But if they decide to kind of downplay those smaller independent creators and, and, and kind of give boost to those old school guys coming to a the platform, then that could mean that there will be another platform around the corner who's going to kind of uh, facilitate the growth of independent creators. So I don't think regardless of what YouTube does and today, it's definitely for video creators a place to be. Um, in addition to obviously depending on the format you create but also facebook video and instagram stories uh, but uh, we've been speaking a lot about youtube and but ultimately any of these platforms will have still central control you can argue and whether they're truly impartial we can only see that in the time moving forward uh, but ultimately what people care about those platforms is the content and the stories that the creators create this idea that it's the true democracy now and that we can upload and that I am equal to Brad Pitt. I love this idea that I am, uh, I mean, I'll never be equal because he's famous independently unless you mean someone, someone of, someone of equal acting skill and good looks and washboard abs who isn't famous but is Brad like, has the same level as me, but yeah. Brad Pitt has the fame, so he attracts... In a traditional media, he's got the fame, yeah. True, in traditional media. And for the audience that follows his movies. Right. If you ask the 15-year-old... This is true. Nobody. Um, uh, but then, the, the, the weird thing that's been to me is that we spend so much time second-guessing these algorithms. And we we think like, oh, even on Facebook, all, all of the social medias, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, it's all an algorithm these days that of what is your, your feed is very, not very often anymore, just linear or timeline-based. This one, then that one, yeah. then that was next. There is some algorithm choosing. And we seem to spend a lot of time now second-guessing the algorithms and thinking, well, what's the best way that I'm going to get something to be seen on Facebook? Well, we think that Facebook likes video. They've told us that. And so, you know, with Comedy Estonia, we use a lot of videos now. And that does seem to go better for us than just putting an image or some text. Now, is that better because people like interacting with videos or is it better because the Facebook algorithm like videos? I don't give a shit. Either way, it works. But no one's, they've kind of said, do more video, but they never really said how much video to do. And my point is we're second guessing these algorithms almost like they're gods, like the great YouTube algorithm. When will it deliver me a front page? Because as we go forward, moving towards this peak content creator, which might still be a very, very long time in the future, there's still only one front page of YouTube. There's still only so much space in my, even in my personalized feed. Is it that now the algorithms have become the new record companies? 
you used to talk about the gatekeepers. I got to front up in front of people. Isn't that, isn't the algorithm now holding me back? Not a board executive? I think algorithm isn't a bad thing. It's uh-huh. a very good thing. Uh, uh, thanks to algorithm, uh, I got to a stone, uh, Comedy Estonia channel because uh, <laughs> algorithm uh, s- thought that this might be interesting for me. Mm. Actually, there's like million, million videos that uh, um, are published and I don't want to see million videos. I don't want to see. I just want to see videos. What's interesting for me? Uh, actually, yeah, it's true. Think that uh, I found Comedy Stone channel through YouTube algorithm. But it's. Um, I I kind of want to counter argue that yeah, uh, that on, it's yeah. a good thing. Uh, I think algorithms could also be very dangerous, uh, in a way that's just um, kind of uh, pushing us through the. Path of the tunnel that we've you know that with our I bet you that fucking videos. motorcycle is Casper Kickapill, <laughs> my host. I bet you he he works next door and he's got a big fucking Harley Davidson. I bet you that was him, Casper. I'm coming for you. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. It pardon sounded, me. Sounded, just it sounded good. We should have had mics there. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, you're making Any, your point. Anyway, just um, algorithms at the same time when they're good for you to discover new stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's also dangerous because oftentimes, and we've seen that through the political elections and, and things that have happened around us where it can also lead you down the, a very narrow, biased path of what you've chosen in the first place. So if mm-hmm. I watch, I don't know, two or three videos about one specific worldview or one specific activity, it's likely that I'm going to be fed more and more of those videos, mm. kind of ending me and pushing me through the tunnel that I've somehow accidentally chose from the beginning. So that's the kind of, I think, dangerous part. Why the platforms are doing it, it's very simple. I think with with everything in life, like if you want to find the reason why people are doing it, just follow the money. So mm-hmm. those guys are making money through ads. Google is making almost 90% of their money through ads. Facebook is making all of, almost yeah. all of their money through ads. So just follow where they're making their money. Uh, how they can make more money. They want you to keep to keep you on the platform for longer. If you're not going to upload an image, if you're going to upload a video, the likelihood is comedy Estonian fan is going to spend a few minutes more on Facebook. If they're going to spend a few minutes more on Facebook, Facebook's going to make a few more dollars, right? So that's the logic that they follow in optimizing their algorithm. The question is whether that optimization is in, in the interest of that company who is controlling it or in the interest of the viewer or the user who is just using that app. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge debate. Um, and those platforms are now just recognizing that that might it might not all be that good, and we should give users some transparency of. And then they also have done a lot of research now, understanding that when people go into Facebook specifically, there's a few studies, and they also share they themselves, which is quite interesting. Uh, they go in and after using Facebook for whatever period of time, first of all, people lose the sense of time. Mm. They might come out half an hour later and say like, oh, actually, I should have been in that meeting. Mm. And at the same time, they feel bad. They feel like they wasted time. And that's something that they also want to change. So I think a lot of the times they've they've kind of, those businesses have ended up uh, with those business models where they're tied to ads and they just have to do more you know, to keep their company growing because they're public companies. They have to show growing right. numbers, earnings. Otherwise, they're, they're going to go down. Mm. So they, they oftentimes even like, almost unwillingly, even though knowingly, um, are pushing their algorithms in the direction that's not necessarily good for the user. Um, in the in the face of like worldviews and in the face of uh, in the interest of their uh, advertising dollars that they're receiving, 
that's a big challenge for the industry. I mean, they're introducing new metrics now with the whole time well spent thing where they're showing on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube. You can also now today go to mm-hmm. those apps and see how much time you're spending on average a day and average a week and then try to kind of create yourself a disciplined, more disciplined uh, behaviors. And um, and if you look at something like like how Facebook is approaching, they're also kind of pushing away more larger publishers from your newsfeed and trying to introduce more friends back to your newsfeed. But those changes take a long time uh, to make. And they also need to figure out if, if that's going to mean that their business is not going to grow that fast. Like how are how is their business going to grow in the future? Mm. Um, and those are all questions that the whole industry is debating. And in that sense, you could completely agree with you that those platforms have become like gods or godlike figures where everybody's praying for them to feature their channel or video or be in the recommended uh, videos area in order to get more exposure, find new audiences. Um, but then again, they have to fit to the financial purpose of those platforms. So it's not mm. that for you to see Comedy Estonia video in a recommended feed means that in the first place, Comedy Estonia is making good stuff that's keeping people on YouTube longer. Hence, they're serving it to you, hoping to keep you on the platform for longer. So the kind of all in all answer to that question with a super loaded yeah. theory is that just make good stuff. And when you mm. make good stuff, then uh, people care about it. People watch that longer. And that's good for the better for the people because you make good stuff. That's better for the platform. That's going to keep you there for longer. And you will be featured. You will be growing. So ultimately, don't worry about that algorithm too much. Just focus on making good stuff. And if you make good stuff, people will like it. People will enjoy it. People will share it. People will spend time with it. And then you're going to get all the benefits that the algorithm has to offer to you. I mean, the, that bit makes sense. There's something you can't control, be it God, the weather, the algorithm, all the things. So what can you do? You can just make some contingencies to get around it and then keep on going and do your best of work. Of course, there, there uh, are best practices that you should follow. Of course. And, and there are things that you should learn about when you're the, on those platforms. Again, mm. that's something that we help also the creators to do. It's like, how do you optimize your content on those platforms in terms of like the tags you use, the descriptions you use, the titles you use? Um, how do you tag up your channel? How do you have a channel trailer? How do you structure it? Do you do playlists? What do you do with your thumbnails? Like all of these things matter or mm. they can help you a little bit to optimize if you have good content. Uh, but at the same time, ultimately, ultimately, it comes down to having amazing content that people care about. Makes sense. I've always wondered that there's, if this algorithm is this mystery thing, then, but someone somewhere knows this is not colonel sanders special recipe where it's half in a (laughs) vault somewhere and the other half at the pepsi headquarters like there are programmers who must know this i that must be a fucking burden of weight of nda laden responsibility that you know you know what that person needs to do not even rigging it right just that you know what it kind of means is there's we don't even know the rules of the game if you don't know the algorithm. Yeah. But there's someone out there, some group of people that know that. And I've always wondered, there's these little nerds sitting in Silicon Valley with just <laughs> literally billions of dollars worth of value in their head. If you knew those algorithms and knew what it took to do, billions of dollars. I mean, like, those platforms also knowing a little bit, having worked a little bit with them, they also mm. obviously split their know-how as much as possible into smaller bits and pieces. So even if you look at YouTube, like a lot of these sections are developed in different teams separately, uh, mm. almost isolated to each other, obviously have to work together because ultimately it's the same platform. 
but they worked in different teams for the same reason, like because they also, as a company, are risking it if there's just one person who knows everything. But I'm sure there's people who know a lot more than you and I or we do around this table. I wonder if there's a black market for that. Like there you're is, selling, there yeah, is. yeah. I mean, there is a ton of forums uh, around it and our speculations and tests that people do. And, and obviously, we experiment all the time. We try to test and, and guess, second guess those mm. algorithms all the time. But I don't think if you're a creator starting up today, that's something I don't think you should worry about. All right. I like that. That sounds like good advice. Don't worry about that crap. Yeah. Just make great videos. Exactly. Just do your thing or whatever it is you do your thing yeah. the best you can. I like that when you break that down. One of the things that attracted me to podcasts is it seemed like right now that one gatekeeper in, that is YouTube, let's say for videos, doesn't quite exist yet for podcasts and over a number of things. That in a podcast, um, the files are located somewhere and then you get aggregated up to your iTunes, you get aggregated up to your Google Play. Yeah, And now... I mean, let's say, okay, Apple is the big player. Google Play is a big player there. Uh, Spotify are getting their toe very wet in that water now as yeah. well. Um, and so it may consolidate into a number of platforms. But even if we say that podcasts are going to end up at three, Apple, Google, and Spotify, let's say that's even where that... Three is still a lot different than one on YouTube. And I think that attracted me to it. And that, oh, because someone asked me the other day, they, they wrote to me online and said, I'm looking for your podcast, but I can't find it on SoundCloud. And I said, well, SoundCloud's not an aggregator. You just upload the file. It's yeah. a hosting service. And yeah. I chose not to go to SoundCloud specifically because I wanted to play music tracks sometimes in this. And I understood that SoundCloud was first a music platform. So they've already got the algorithms that are giving you strikes and copyright warnings and all that. And I went, fuck this. I don't want anything to do with that. Yeah. Uh, so I just have this separate provider now that no one's ever heard of. But that doesn't matter because I have a geographically limited audience that I'm trying to get to. So I thought it doesn't matter where it's hosted. How do you see podcasts evolving then? Did you see, because you did say to me the other day, you said, Lewis, the algorithms are coming. You can't stop them. They're coming. And I'm like, but I've got a few podcasts there. And you said, well, eventually you're going to have more podcasts in there. How do you see the world of podcasts specifically with these three kind of players evolving? Or have I read the situation wrong, do you think? No, I think it's it's all correct up until today. Cool. Uh, because, uh, I mean, obviously, <laughs> this Apple, podcast, that's the end of it. Up yeah. until today, this is where no, it no, ends. No, no, this no. is what he means. <laughs> that's where it all starts. <laughs> You're early. Um, no, but if you think about um, how podcast has evolved, then Apple definitely was leading the, the pack mm. uh, of the big guys. And the, when, you, when I say the big guys, I mean Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, the big four mm. uh, that is considered to control the world. <laughs> anyway, um, Apple, but Apple's interest when making podcasts um, is not to make money through ads. So uh, they are mm. there to sell more devices. That's their business model. If you look at their balance sheet, that's where they make most of their money. Mm. Every service that they build on top of that is just there to add more value to the customer, to make iPhone more valuable, make the podcast experience most seamless in the world so that you can have it available on your watch, on your iPad, on your Mac, and on your phone, and that's what they're building. Mm. Now, when Google just got into podcast, mm. and Google just literally a month ago did that uh, move, they launched an Android app, they made it available in Google search. 
So podcast is coming to search. You can play podcast straight from search. Oh, dang. Um, so that means you can imagine a world where someone is searching for something in like your name, for example, Louis Cesarin, and mm. your podcast will come up because that will keep them longer on Google mm. um, rather than whatever else you're try you're doing online. Yeah. Um, and Google Podcast app itself, of course, is already using algorithms to recommend podcasts to you that you should listen to. That's true. Um, and actually, Apple Podcast is doing a little bit of that as well. So. Mm. A lot of times when, again, it's all about time spent uh, ultimately for those companies. And also Apple is looking at whatever um, um, channels or whatever you call them, uh, people are spending more time off, they will be in the top uh, or those who have most reviews in com combination of most listening time. So those algorithms are kind of inevitable because otherwise there will be just so much out there. And as Pride said, like there's a good side of algorithms which helps you to discover good stuff. Mm. Uh, which otherwise be buried into those millions of podcasts that are getting out there every day. So in that sense, it's it's kind of good. But I agree with you that podcast today, as it stands, it's um, it's very uh, loosely controlled. Mm. Uh, you, everybody can still get out there and have exposure because there is not like millions of like people generally don't subscribe to hundreds of different channels as they do on youtube today because again there is not that much good stuff out there even if you think of like the podcast space in estonia it's so small like there's some radio stations who upload their shows to podcast uh, maybe like one one house or one studio specializing in doing podcast shows that's pretty much it like mm -hmm. there and then there's like few indies doing it but it's still relatively small compared to the radio space that we have we have so many different radio stations for our small nation mm. who are all producing almost like 24 7 programming and you can imagine like all of that time that we spend in cars the cars will become more connected like android auto is something that is installed in a lot of cars or as soon as you plug your phone android phone in android auto will come up you can imagine google podcast being pre-installed there and starting to play your favorite episodes same things happening with Apple and Apple CarPlay, where you just plug your iPhone into your car, automatically podcast is there installed just beside your messages and calls. Mm. So you can imagine them having more and more control of that. Um, and as they're launching those experiences and getting into that space, be it Spotify, be it Google, being Apple, they want to ensure the best possible user experience and then do it whatever is good for the company. For Apple, it's just to give you a good experience and give you ultimately the best possible device in the world. Mm. Then for Google, it's just how we can make some more money potentially through ads. Right, were you sort of implying there that, yeah, Apple and Google, even though if you've got an Android, you're probably going through the Google, of course, and you got the iPhone. So there's, it's not really a choice for most people because, first of all, it's whatever phone you're using. But you were sort of... Going back to your YouTube example, YouTube wants your eyeballs to keep you engaged, more ads, more engagement. You said Google was kind of similar to that, that they wanted, but Apple was just like, eh, we're happy that you got the device. Is there some difference there in the way Apple's looking at it to Google? Did I understand For sure. or not? Like, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, when Google Podcast has now been launched, uh, they're also bringing out iOS version, which is going to be available on mm. Apple devices. And then maybe six months after, just fantasizing here, uh, they might bring out an ad network that is uh, placing ads in podcasts, helping podcast makers make money without doing any sales themselves, and then building another scalable revenue product for Google Ads business. Which makes sense. Um, so for them, that becomes then another big area of um, involvement besides YouTube that is growing massively for them, search that is not growing and almost declining in some markets, 
um, in terms of the revenue that's making for the company. So in that sense, they are also looking for other media to get into and podcast seems to be interesting to them. Um, and obviously they want to build a great experience. They want people to get using the product the same way, like they build Gmail into an amazing experience or Google calendar or Google maps or YouTube. Like it's all there. It's a great product, but at the same time, if you're getting it for free, just then you're the product basically. Mm. And in podcast as well, uh, I guess then Apple might introduce other means of uh, helping podcasters make money or, then Apple Podcasts will become less relevant for them and then podcasters will start maybe like pre-launching, pre-releasing their their shows on, on Google Podcasts because that's help, that helps them to make money um, and then maybe only releasing it uh, later on other platforms. Those things can all happen. They've happened in music industry. They happen still all the time. Like you can see exclusive releases on Spotify all the time, mm. exclusive releases on Apple Music. Or Apple might then bring the podcast thing under their uh, Apple Music subscription, for example, and then pay uh, the podcast uh, creators through that. Like, we don't know what the ultimate means of end is going to be. Like, it could be that the ads will go away for both of those companies, like that the consumers uh, will not tolerate uh, those ads or they can't evolve formats that are fit for purpose and consumers don't have enough to put disposable income so they can pay for the subscriptions or they're open to pay for subscriptions you can get rid of ads on youtube today you can pay for youtube premium and yeah? have the oh whole, youtube premium okay you oh, can yeah. have a whole ad free experience if you want mm. uh, you can you can't do that today with podcasts because it's embedded into hard coded into most of the podcast shows mm. um, and only when those companies get involved they can say if you're distributing on my platform, you can't have any ads you're selling yourself. So we're going to place all of your ads and then they're going to sell maybe two products, like free product that is ad supported and then subscription product that is not ad supported, but it still all goes through them because they control the consumer and and uh, the listeners. Mm. Makes sense what you say about the way it goes and the way Google would look at it, the way Apple would look at it. Um and we but, might have someone else coming in. We don't know. I mean, mm. Amazon is huge in audiobooks. Like they acquired Audible and that's becoming the biggest means to share audiobooks today. Maybe they're going to develop a new product within Audible. That's, mm. uh, I mean, they're all already doing some of it. Uh, but that can be, become even a bigger, more viable option that is cross-platform. And then Amazon might include it under their Prime subscription and pay creators in that way. Like we'd... It's really hard to foresee the future, but sure. the back podcast definitely today, it's become a significant amount of uh, the time that people spend listening to podcasts, um, therefore becoming interesting for the P companies who are essentially all fighting for your time. Like YouTube is fighting for it. Google is fighting for your time. Facebook's fighting for your time. Mm. Amazon is fighting for your time. And if something that as a consumer habit or audience trend will emerge, then those guys obviously become interested in how we can embed that into our business something i just thought of based off what you said if youtube's trying to keep my eyeballs for time and for sponsored dollars does that mean do you think then like comedy estonia we don't turn on ads on nothing right again because we're allergic to shit but does that mean do you reckon <laughs> would, a, would, a, would you reckon youtube would like downgrade us a little bit because if it plays out we don't play any ads so if they play recommend our video they ain't getting any or as much, add money from it. You can fantasize that there is a nerd there who thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> but we have no way to know this, whether YouTube would be prioritizing 
I mean, there, there are some tests to suggest that, but none of them have been done at the scale that can really become the truth. And I think, again, when something like this would become a study that people will follow, then they would randomize it enough themselves so that it, it doesn't become visible. But yeah. yes, you can argue, like, if you look at their balance sheet, then showing your videos doesn't make much, sen much sense, right? It mm -hmm. makes sense to show videos who've got ads on, turned on. Because even when then... When those vi like, even if I'm like a premium subscriber, then actually Comedy Stone is also not making money, uh, even though someone is watching it with a premium account, because there is like the premium account money is distributed amongst those who mm. turned ads on, um, and then they get a, a a share of that. I mean, you can do specific channel subscription. That's what they're introducing now. So you can mm. subscribe potentially just to Comedy Stone and pay for that channel uh, every month to sh to see that content, but um again uh that's something that they're just experimenting with like ads is is not necessarily all bad like I, mm. ads definitely has that bad kind of connotation to some extent like when people say ads it means bad because generally ads are not good especially on youtube like people just put their tv ads on, on youtube and that's not a good experience but some ads are really funny and really good really well done um and they are fit for purpose on the platform they're on And YouTube also recognizes that. They don't want bad experience for the consumer, so they will bring out the option of subscribing to those channels and paying the other way because ultimately they need to meet, kind of cover their cost because it costs a lot of money to serve those videos all around the world. So they need to make some money back. And you can argue that if they're showing videos that don't get any subscription money, don't serve any ads, like what's the business for them? It's just doing good for the society, essentially. Right, which a publicly traded company may or may not exactly. actually be interested in yeah. that. Because ultimately, mm. they're all serving their shareholders. They're all driving their quarterly revenue numbers and profit numbers. It does seem like that's the, uh, the next quarterly review from Twitter says that they lost 10, 10 less subscribers. Oh, it's terrible. We're going downhill. <laughs> like They always have to be showing upward trends of users, of income, and so forth to appease these Uh, shareholders yeah and and like if you were a shareholder you would want to see that graph going up mm. you want to see that graph like the the they're making more money their share price is increasing that's what all the shareholders want to see on one hand and on the other hand they want to say like don't like focus on these business models like mm. let's figure something new out and then when they do that then they might stop growing and they might stop making as much money as they were making before and then Uh, all the shareholders are there selling their shares and like mm. it, that it's like a whole it's it's something that you have to manage really really well if you're a public company and like having worked for some public companies then it's definitely a pressure that everybody is everybody has um, and that really means things that you can work on will have to have some impact short term and and some of the things that have long-term impact will sometimes uh, need to take a um, longer view or, or not go there that fast sure um i yeah we've been here a while we'll try to wrap it up and trying to bring it home at some time soon um the next follow-on from that is like analyzing yeah we talked about the algorithms where is the money come from how can a content creator possibly support themselves and what things can they look to is um and one thing i always talk about very often on my podcast is how i think the small population size of estonia affects everything And it's my default choice usually. If I'm looking for an explanation about Estonia, the first thing I usually think is, is this because we don't have enough people? I bet you this is because we don't have enough people. 
it's always my first go-to kind of reason for any social or cultural sort of explanation that I'm trying to make of my observations. And uh, I have recently started to uh, donate some money to a couple of YouTube videos that I watch via Patreon. And so if people out there, if you don't know what a, a Patreon is, is uh, if you are a content creator on any platform, you can go to the Patreon site and uh, people can donate to you a one time or on a monthly regular basis. And the idea is hopefully that you are connecting more directly with the people, with your Patreon followers. And even to the level of giving them exclusive content, uh, the guys that I follow, I, I follow retro video games crap. So they're taking questions every week and every week my guy is producing a 30-minute video of Patreon subscriber questions and he has a little giveaway and I give him a couple bucks a month and I feel good that I've watched their stuff. Um, is that something that's happening in Estonia? Is that a small population thing makes that hard or is that a, a model that could work here? We, uh, I'm also a co-founder of uh, Estonian World and, we, mm. um, and that's a purely independent independently run a largely volunteer based uh, network of writers um and it's the largest publication about estonia in english um and we started a patreon uh page um and um our supporters have the option to donate money for our operation the reality is most of that money is coming from countries outside of estonia our readers who are elsewhere um, and we have very uh, few Estonians supporting it. I guess it's the awareness of Patreon as a platform that is relatively low in Estonia. Mm. Again, Patreon is is a relatively new company and they haven't done much marketing uh, to these countries to get the creators from the smaller markets on board. They're very much focused on larger markets. And, and when you needed to explain Patreon here, I think a lot of people might just not have heard about it. Mm. Um, YouTube has similar products themselves now where you could also pay per video or pay per channel or also just pay for your comments. Do they have pay-per-view on YouTube? Yes, you can do that, yeah. Really? Because I... That's what I fucking your, want. Your channel needs to have a certain number of subscribers. How do we get that? Because and let me can enable I'll that tell you channel. what, I don't actually really want to put any of our videos onto any paid streaming platforms or anything. I would love, all I would really love is that you can go to YouTube and you can pay a couple of euros to watch Sanders special and the couple of euros come to us. Yeah. That's all I want. I don't want to have to, and I respect them, but I don't have to fuck around with Telia. I don't have to fuck around with any other companies, yeah. Telecox, any of these streaming services. Everyone's on YouTube. I just wish I could do it there. Um, I haven't even seen that functionality. We though, should from, talk about it. <laughs> we should. But it's, uh, but it's uh, yes, that's again, something that YouTube is experimenting with. It's mm. actually been around for quite a while, but uh, you need to have a certain number of subscribers to be eligible for that program. And then you can start monetizing your videos either one by one or a channel as a subscription. Or when you do live streams, they have a product uh, uh, for comments um, where you can uh, pay for your comments. Um, all of that money will go to the creator with yeah. the revenue share that YouTube has with the creator. And then your comment will stick there for however much you paid longer. Yeah. So they have like some direct payment methods like Patreon has. And in Patreon, yeah, you can structure it by month. You can structure it by publication, meaning every time you upload the video, you will get money um, and, uh, and get some exclusives around it. So we definitely see that there is an appetite for it to essentially super serve your super fans, mm. uh, if you put it that way. Like you must be a super fan of that channel if you pay 
uh, for them on Patreon. Mm. Like you must really like them. Right. You, got, uh, you yeah, really uh, yeah, yeah. Support so, them yeah. more than just kind of giving your time on YouTube, where you basically pay with ads uh, by just watching those videos. Mm. Um, and uh, and that's something that YouTube is also thinking about. Uh, but Patreon is definitely someone who started it and who has been breaking the ice for <laughs> YouTube to essentially follow with that product. Mm. And pra- Patreon for some of the creators, especially in education. Um, and some very small niche uh, categories has made it work really well. And, and there's channels who actually make their living off of Patreon by uh, just super serving their fans, doing some exclusive content, and then that allows them to do whatever they do to everybody on YouTube um, on daily basis mm-hmm. to essentially pay their rent and then make some more. So Patreon is a viable option. I guess it's just not as known in, Esto- in Estonian market. Mm. Uh, but again, I think you need to be at a size where you have enough super fans who are willing to do basically whatever you do and follow that and buy that. Is it the people get weird about when they let's say they are kicking into a Patreon or I don't know, giving you some money on a pay per view or something like that? Because okay, here's my example I watch my guys and they're super nerds, super retro, super tech stuff, right? And then I watch my guy and he's a super nerd. So he's got like the latest TV, it's some LG, he's talking about it. And I think on one hand, I'm like, I really like this guy. I'm happy to give him a couple of euros every month and support him. But then it's almost like I become like a parent who gave the child some pocket money and went, did you spend it on another fucking TV? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, yeah. did you buy more crap with that? Like, well, kind of, that's why I gave him the money. But do people get, you know what I mean? Do people get like, I invest in you so i feel some sort of emotional tie to you and what you do does that come out at all or is it just me maybe a little bit i mean i also support some of the creators uh, on patreon Mm. um and sometimes it does feel like it um but again there's creators who are super open about it and like what do they do with the money Mm. and then they actually show in videos it's like we invested in this we invested in that production side like this is what we are planning to do with that money i think it's important to bring that transparency of understanding of where that money goes so you truly feel that you're helping them i think it's like with any other charitable um thing that you do Mm. um i only also support charities where there's total transparency uh, where they don't take like 60% management fee yeah. and then the 40% will go to for good. Like you want to see the end result. And I think that's the same thing with Patreon. Um, and a lot of people don't feel comfortable doing that and have that feeling that you just explained. It's mm. like, where does that money go? Yeah. Um, because so, when we collect the, even when we have this, the closest thing we might have with Comedy Estonia is our bucket donation at our open mm-hmm. mics. So uh, uh, most of our open mic shows are free entry, but at the end we ask people to to leave a donation. This works great for us because we're going to have a whole bunch of shows. We don't have to worry about pre-sale tickets. We don't have to worry about security at the door. People just come, and at the end they leave some money. If they don't, and we don't hassle no one. If you ain't got no money, no problem. Say so it's cool. You know, maybe we'll make a joke, but come on, it's fine. But I still feel the need to be accountable to the audience. I at least always say. And we use this for accommodation, maybe some travel, we're going to do shows. And this is the truth. Sometimes we buy an extra microphone with it or something we might need. Like we don't just piss it up. Definitely we don't just piss it against the wall and, and booze it. Exactly. But I Buy feel some, some yeah, I feel some responsibility to tell people what is happening. But if they bought a ticket, fuck you. I'm not telling you what I do with your ticket yeah. money. But if you drop it voluntarily into a bucket, I feel the need to explain it 
to you. Yeah, because people are much more comfortable in those transactions like a ticket or merch or a t-shirt they're buying because that's something I give you money, I get this in return. Like if I go to a concert, I pay for it, I give you money and I get mm. that concert experience in return. And if you just do it like voluntary, then it becomes a donation. And if you want people to feel good about it, you need to be transparent. I, when I came to the show, I really actually appreciated that gesture when nice. they mentioned it on stage that this is going to be used for bringing people here. This is going to be used for their recommendation to stay in Tallinn or whatever mm. they need it for. Like that's a good cost. I understand there's cost involved. Like I don't expect that show to be free. Like if I go there and don't pay for it, I don't think that's right. I mean, it's fine for marketing purposes, but basically they're paying with their time being there that mm. Comedy Estonia, they're going to talk about it to their friends and they kind of pay indirectly as well. Uh, but also I understand that there's some cost involved in putting that show up, so I need to compensate for it. And if there are like creators that, for example, there's a creator, Kurzgesagt, which is like a German, it's an educational channel who like super, super cool animation and they kind of explain different... Um, basically like physics, chemistry or worldviews or politics thing. They take a topic and then they just break it down in a super well animated way. And those guys just do one every month. Mm. And at least that's what they did before. Now they're actually doing more because they have more money for it from Patreon. Mm. But I understood that from that one video, they couldn't pay for the team of people to work research and then animate it and then do all the voiceovers and, and everything like pay for a couple of people for a month they can't make it happen with just that one video that comes out every month so they open a patreon they were transparent about it like that money directly goes to pay these guys salaries so that they can earn their living and then make those videos that you enjoy getting every month and if we're going to make that much money then we're going to start doing two a month because then we can expand our team and that transparency in that sense actually feels right that mm. feels much more like a subscription to a channel or pay-per-view in a way mm. that just going through Patreon. I think that's why YouTube is also bringing it to their own platform because they see it happening all the time. But there are some kind of niche genres where it just makes more sense than others. Like PewDiePie would do Patreon. It might not make as much sense unless he's going to do some specific yeah, exclusive fuck you, millionaire. Exclusive like, why am I content? giving you a buck? You're a millionaire. Because he's doing like two videos a day sometimes. Yeah, so, and, and that kind of gives him ad support. And he's transparent about it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, that when he's doing merch and other things, that's all to support his business. And he's doing it a lot of it also for good cause. Like he gives a lot of that money just directly away, whatever people donate when he does those mm. um, donation or pay-per-view stuff. So mm. I think it's, again, what, like you have to be transparent and imagine yourself being on the other side. Oh, there's some, I feel like I, I, every time I talk with you guys, we could talk forever. Because I, I want to, I, we are going to wrap it up right now. Um but I, I feel like I could talk for another hour and I would love to talk more about this phenomenon of, uh, f of content creator burnout and that we've been reading mm. about the pressures of having that weekly video, that daily video of oh, yeah. coming up with it and the original content, but maybe the next time. Otherwise, we'll be here for in a bit. I want to just end. Sorry, go ahead. Let's do it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just quickly with you, Bright, tell us something about your experiences. You, up until, as you told us, you were the drummer for Carl's band but you recently decided to to end that just to focus on Creately. Tell us about that. That's a big step, bro. I mean, that's... Well, yeah, you know, I had a big step uh, home also. Um, I had a baby, so... A baby who's right now waiting for me also. Oh, of course. Uh, so that was the main reason to uh, stop touring with the band. Mm. So uh, uh, Creately, yes, is the pa passion project for me, and I will... 
uh, give all my uh, att attention uh, to Crately, but but the main step for uh, stuff touring was was the baby. Oh, okay, fair enough. I understand, but also good to focus on your business as well. I think that I think it's like yeah, of course you got to focus on this. You want to run a business, you got to focus on it. As you know, you got to do it. Yeah, I mean, because we're also still figuring mm. things out, right? Mm. I mean, we're we're not making money, a ton of money. Like we're we're still figuring it out. Like we're it's totally a startup where we definitely put in more than we get back. Okay. Uh, but we're excited about it. Like it's our passion and mission to to help creators um, and uh, that's something that gets us going and hopefully we'll get a lot of other people going where we can add some value and and ultimately build it into something meaningful and big here i love it thank you very much uh I, i've said this to you a number of times but when we talk i feel like you guys have the closest philosophy that i found in estonia to what comedy estonia has that when I first when I talked to Bright and then you guy uh, with you as well sounded together, I was like, "You think the same way," and I, I didn't encounter that. And maybe that's I'm just looking at traditional media in Estonia and traditional performers trying to make a traditional way. And when I met you guys, I was like, "You you get it, right? This is the future. We're gonna we are gonna do nothing less than remake the Estonian media landscape." Mark my words. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. I believe in this It's future. mutual, yeah. yeah. We really always enjoy spending time with you as well. Like It's always very inspiring. And I'm sure we'll, we'll also find things that we might be able to do together. I think there might be. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Let's see. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Brian. Thank, Thank you, Sander. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Who uh, made it this far? Wow. Yeah, we did. What are we almost? We are the one hour 50. We're doing good. Unbelievable. Congratulations to everybody who made it this far. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so impressed if anyone makes it to the end. I always want to leave some Easter egg, like a, yeah, I prize. Don't know, a prize. or It would be great if there's some feedback, you know, who made it to the end. Yes. Maybe it's, wherever they're distributing it, they should leave a comment this time. They should subscribe Sander's channel and then we will see who was the <laughs> subscriber. <laughs> but what I'm going to do but, is like read a Bitcoin identifier out like UX349. And then that if you get to the end, you can type that in and get that Bitcoin or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to give people money. Um, I'm going to put this up already uh, on uh, Wednesday. You should be getting this. So if you're listening to this uh, on Wednesday or on Thursday this week, uh, we have our English comedy nights uh, in Tartu at Athena on Wednesday. And on Thursday, we are at Svetabar in Teleskivi. That's, uh, it's been in between the Baltiyam Torg and uh, Teleskivi there. And we've got our homeboy, Jamali Maddox, coming from the UK, doing his new show, Vape wow. Lord. Uh, so we're doing that over the next two nights in Tallinn and Tartu. Tickets are pillar to levy. You can check it out. But it's all good. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, boys. Awesome. Thank you so much and good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. See you on the show. Bye-bye.